our kids today. Billy Books is our shepherd this morning for the kids. I want to encourage you to turn in your uh, program, if you would, to the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. And if you're a guest with us, uh, welcome. You, uh, you may be a little frustrated if you're thinking, wow, cool, it's already 11 o'clock, 11.30, we're out of here with communion too. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, just uh, truth in advertising, we've always said that we're a 75-minute uh, service, not a 60-minute service, so a quarter to 11 is what I always shoot for. Typically, my sermons are anywhere from 30 minutes to 40 minutes. It's just the way it is. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I do not know how Episcopal priests do it. I don't. It's not within me. I, I go down side roads sometimes. If you ever uh, see me, this is my bit of a pulpit. If you ever see me way over here and I say, notice how far away I am from the pulpit, let me give you some speculation, then that means that it's really more Phil than it is God. Uh, and I'm still thinking through it and have opinion. We always put an outline, or, or I try to, in the, the sermon bulletin. The reason that we do that is because I don't expect you to get a brain... I know you're going to get a brain cramp if you try to capture everything. I mean, I do. I do. <laughs> I try to put down some pertinent points, and it's helpful if you would write note to self, just to yourself, not to your mate, not to a good friend, to you. God's Word this morning is for you particularly as we're talking about children and parenting. God's word, say to self, to me. It is not to him. It is not to her. Uh, it is not a jab from last night's discussion or argument. It's to me. God is a sweet, sweet daddy. He's your father, and he has something for you. Now, you may say, he's all, he, you know, the sermon is long. He's got an awful lot of something for me. Well, it may not be all for you. There are other people sitting around you. And so uh, it may be the first point for some. It may be the last point for some. But uh, note-taking is encouraged. So without further ado, we are walking through what originally was going to be like a uh, six- to eight-week uh, series on Colossians, this little church plant that uh, Paul wrote to from a prison cell to encourage them. We started with six to eight message, and I think we're somewhere around number 12. Uh, and not done yet. Next week, we're going to talk about slavery. What a big issue in the Bible. And uh, is that something as Christians that we should hang our heads about and be ashamed about? And what's the? Does it have anything to do with us today? Maybe we just need to cut that part of Colossians out about slaver, slaves or obeying your masters. And then from there, we're going to go further and we're going to start talking as we kind of conclude. We're going to look at prayer and then how to give thanks, and then how to say goodbye. Uh, we're going to conclude in Colossians, and then I don't know quite yet, I'm praying about it, where God wants me to go uh, next. I'm thinking about maybe 150 messages in Leviticus. Do you pray for me? Beginning with Colossians, verse 17 of chapter 3. Okay, We encourage Bibles, we have Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, take one, they're free, our gift. If you'd like to make a donation, they're $5. Uh, I'm going to do something about the Bibles. I'm thinking about 
uh, because I have the English Standard Version and those free Bibles are New International Version. Just incentive for you to go out and buy it, English Standard Version. Okay, verse 17 of chapter 3. Paul speaking, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, wives, don't park it there. We, we already covered that, so don't, don't get hung up with that. As it is fitting in the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart and the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, this is not simply on the subject of slavery and masters. This is on the preceding three subjects, wives and husband, marriage, fathers and child, who the fathers were, incidentally, the principal caregivers um, to their children. They were held responsible. So knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Heavenly Father, this is your word. I pray by your grace and by your power this morning that you will allow us to hear you speak. For you speak truth. Father, I would pray that you would use me to speak your word in truth. Holy Spirit, strengthen our heart that we might not leave here full of guilt, for that is not your way. We might be freshly convicted, but thrilled with the promise of power to live it, and also motivated, Jesus, by your great love. Your great love as you shape us to be your sons and daughters and children in yourself as we pray in your name, Christ, amen. Um, one of the uh, the shows that I watch somewhat irregularly, I've got like two shows, if, if truth be told, two shows that I watch religiously, I mean, religiously meaning, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there early, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've got my little area all prepared. My family knows, don't disturb Pastor Phil when his show is on. Hannah Banana, what's one of my shows? Survivor. Okay, I'm a heathen, all right? I'm a heathen. It's just like watching church, you know? It's just like, no. And then my second show comes on tonight, Amazing Race. Now, sadly, the Cowboys are out, so now I'm just a little heartstruck. But I still got another second favorite. But before Amazing Race, sometimes on Sunday evening as I'm watching the clock, I'll tune in, and right before Amazing Race, 60 Minutes is on. And that was the case this last week. 60 Minutes was on, and I said, okay, Amazing Race will be on in a few minutes. I'll watch 60 Minutes. Usually it just frustrates me. 
and it did again today. I like some of the programs, but some of them are, I'm sorry, they're stupid. Anyway, this one was on the billionaire, the billionaire dictator, the billionaire Eli Brode. Now, Eli Brode gives a lot of his money away. In fact, in the interview, he was outstanding because he said, my desire is to die almost penniless. I want to give the billions that I have made, particularly in real estate, and then he bought Sun Insurance and turned it into Sun America and then sold it for billions. He said, I want to give most of my money away to art, museums, schools, education. Uh, he's given some to build medical centers for research. He's very controlling, though. He said, that's another thing. He said, I know people will say, I'm just very, I'm very dictatorial in my benevolent giving, but, you know, I'm going to, I want to know where my money goes. And so he just, they, they take you and they show you, he's, he's a big collector of contemporary art, and they show you the museum in Los Angeles he built, and his name is on everything, his name and his wife's name. And there it is. It's the museum of art. And he's got a whole district. It was a bombed-out district outside of Los Angeles that he's buying up, you know, uh, you know, quarter by quarter by quarter, and he's stamping it. And in the interview, when he said, my plan is to give all my billions away, but I just keep making money, and I just keep giving it away, and so what if I want to put my name on it? It's my money. And I'm like, okay, that's fair enough, I guess. And then Morley Safer asked this question. And I thought about it all week. He said, your plan is to give everything away, but you've got two sons, right? Yes, I've got two sons. What about them? And he said, they'll be taken care of. They'll be all right. He said, you don't really have a good relationship with your sons, do you? He said, let's just say that uh, they're not as ambitious as I am. And Morley Saber Press, and I appreciate that, and going back and reading the transcript, it, you could tell it was a real friendly conversation until there, then. But then Eli gets a little defensive. He said, ambitious, taken care of. He said, uh, you weren't known as a good father, were you? And he said, let's just say that, that I work 24-7. I provided, but I had to be away in order to provide. And look. Look at my billions. Look at all the buildings. Look at all that I have created because of my billions. And then they go on with the interview. I did a little homework. I figure you can Google anything. Do you know what Eli's two sons' name are? Okay, now, some of you guys are whiz kids. You can find it. I couldn't find it. I mean, I spent an hour and a half one day trying to find the names of his two sons. Just the names of his two sons. I wanted to find out what their life looked like. You can't find their name anywhere. You can find Eli's name on over 45 different buildings, but you can't find the names of his two sons. Don't chew in on that. Parenting. Is that an example of good parenting? Your kids are going to be taken... They'll be well off. They'll be taken care of. But no... No building them like you would a building. No pride in them. 
That was the only mention in the whole interview of Eli Broads of even having kids. Secondly, uh, did you see the royal wedding? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what they're doing right now, but I, I got to get home to find out what they're doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm not liberal, but I do like to listen to NPR, and I balance it out with other things that I listen to, like the Savage Show when I'm coming home late at night, you know, so I kind of get something in the middle. Uh, but uh, one of the, on NPR, they were interviewing uh, this royal watcher, and they said, oh, this is so exciting, you know. What will Kate Middleton's purpose be in the marriage? What is her function? Well, her role will be principally to be a breeder for children. That is her role. If she is to have children, you know, just children to born, she's just a breeder. And I thought, whoa, ladies. <laughs> that, I don't think that's a compliment. And I think a breeder of children is different from a mother of children. And I think someone, despite their wealth and their success in the business world, who sired two children is different than being a father. And Paul saw that. This morning, I only want to glimpse, very briefly, I just want to hit the principles. Uh, and by the way, you'll notice there are kind of three points. You only see two points, children and father, but the introduction is a point, and I've just concluded it. But before I leave this, I want you to see that at the heart, at the heart of Paul is what St. Clair Ferguson says is the heart that is to drive every Christian in all of our dealings, and that is that God is my father and I am his child. God is my father and I am his child. Some would call it the doctrine of sonship, and others might call it the doctrine of fatherhood. But Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, the apex of creation was God creating man to be his son. And the glory of redemption is redeeming us to be his sons. Ladies, no offense is intended or meant, but it's a high, high compliment to us all because in that are both genders, sons and daughters. But it's God's plan. In fact, if you were to go to Luke chapter 3, I believe it's verse 38, that's Luke's genealogy. Don't go there now. But in Luke's genealogy, he's tracing them back, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, and then he says, you know, son of Adam, who was Adam? the Son of God. So Adam started the world with the Son, and then he came to the Son and he redeemed the world. You see it, and I won't take time to refer to it now, but we see in Exodus, when Moses is instructed to go to Pharaoh, he says, I want you to tell him to this. Tell him to set my people, my sons, my children free. And if he does not set my sons free, then I will demand of him his son. I love that about God. I love that about God. No matter my relationship with my earthly father, God is proud to be my father and he will fight for me. I love that about my God. Then we read on in Deuteronomy. And as we get into Deuteronomy, we see this, this very sad saga. In fact, let me just turn to that real quick. 
In Deuteronomy, the first chapter, he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them as they, they, they refuse to go into the land that he's promised them. He wants to give his children a home on earth. And they, they are just refusing to go. They're so afraid. And he comes and he says, look, don't be afraid. Verse 30, chapter 1. The Lord your God goes before you and he'll fight for you just as he did in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord carries you as a man carries his son. And he's not using that as simply an illustration and an analogy. God carries you now and he carries me now as a son. Some of our hang-ups with him is that we see him as a creator, but we don't see him as a father. I'm a creation, but I'm not a son. In the wilderness where he carried you all the way that you went, sadly, though, though he created Adam as his son, though he, he went with, with, through noses with words to say, set my son and daughters free, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in a way to show you by which way you should go. In other words, Deuteronomy begins that place where we begin to rebel and choose our own way. And then you begin to see as the prophets come along, you see two groups of people that emerge, kind of like the two prodigal sons. You send one, see ones that say, yeah, God used to be my father, but I'm going to choose idols. I'm going to choose my own way. I'm going I'm I'm to be free. And then you see the others, the more religious, as it were, who say, yeah, he's my father, all right, but I feel enslaved by him. Oh, I serve him, but it's just like I'm in bondage in this farm and I'm just bound to these rules. Paul comes along and he clarifies and he says, let me be very precise. Children, obey your parents in everything, in all ways, for this is pleasing to the Lord. And then reciprocally, because there's reciprocal behavior, he doesn't just say that and let fathers and mothers off the hook. He says, fathers, do not exasperate, do not discourage your children. Why? Because they'll get to a point where they'll give up, and they'll do like we. They'll give up in one of two ways. They'll either say, I'm not, I, I give up, just forget you, I'm doing my own thing. Or they give up just by being a dog, biding the time like a slave. And so Paul, what he's talking about here in the micro of a child and a father is what we see in a larger way as how God deals with us. So at the heart of being a parent is the idea that God is a father to me and as a parent, I'm now to father my children like God fathers me. If you get that, then you can check out. You can sleep and I won't wake you up I won't, I won't scoot through these principles at all. We're done. But if you recognize that God is your father, then you father others, most particularly your children. I don't want to leave anyone out this morning. The Shorter Catechism has an interesting uh, way to put this. Shorter Catechism, question number 64. What does the fifth commandment require? Now that's where you're to, in Exodus 20, fifth commandment, Honor your mother and father. What does it require? 
The fifth commandment requires us to respect and treat others, whether above, below, or equal to us, as their position or as our relationship to them demands. And in looking at that, I think that there are those of us that may not have children in our home, but there are children all around us. And the fifth commandment tells us that we're to honor those that are in positions over us, but I also believe that it's incumbent because of our position over others to love them as well, to not exasperate them as well, to train them, to teach them, to show hospitality, to pray after them. In other words, you may not have children, but how are you with children? Do they see God in you? Would they ever confuse you with what God as a father must be like? As well as if you're a parent. Okay, all right. That's the theology behind this. Now let's look very specifically at what Paul is asking us to do in the time that remains. Verse 20. Children, obey in everything. One commentator said this. The main issue here is that obedience is to be total, and it is governed by the very fact of one's position. Okay? In other words, total. Everything is everything. All things are all things. Ephesians, if you look back, well, let me, let me carry you first to uh, Ephesians 6, chapter 1. Children, so Paul, this is a big thing. This is not just for the church in Colossians, okay, or Colossae. It's also for the church in Ephesus. And one of the things that those two churches had in common, they were very secular. In other words, there were more people that were pagans in the community than there were people who were Christian in the community. Okay, And so as people are coming from paganism into the church, Paul wants to be very clear into what the relationship between parent and child should look like. So in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. In other words, it's righteousness. So he's saying the right order of things is for children to obey their parents. Children who become 11 and 12 years old and say, You're not the boss of me are not right. That is not righteousness. It is not in order. Now, turn to Romans chapter 1. And if you're a Christian and you read your Bible, then Romans 1 ought to just give you pause when I said that. What does Romans 1, which, boy, Romans 1 outlines what the symptoms and the signs of paganism are. Oh my gosh, what, what has that got to do with parenting? Romans 1, verse 30 in a litany of characteristics of a pagan society. He says, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. Wow. A mark of paganism is disobedience to parents. And then, if you go over to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 2, and I won't turn there now. One of the signs of the last days, 
One of the signs that our culture has decayed so much that the Lord in His gracious patience, and I'm glad that He didn't come back like 75 years ago. I wouldn't have been here. And I'm glad He didn't come back, you know, 30 years ago. I wouldn't have been a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm glad that He's waiting and He's abiding, but He says one of the signs of the decay of the culture that will precede the Lord is that children will not obey their parents. In everything. Carte blanche. I mean, it is, it is everything is everything. E- economics, uh, dating, tattoos. Ben sat across, and I got his permission to share this. Ben sat across from me at 16 years old. And he was, I was trying to have a conversation with him, and he kept turning his head. He turned his head. And that was when uh, tongue studs were really popular. And it just makes my teeth hurt even to think about them. But you know when you get the waitress, and I don't know why it's been, like more girls get them now than guys. Initially a lot of guys really got them. But they're, I still can't stop. It's just like you're talking and you get that click and that click and that click. And Ben didn't have a tongue tongue stud, but his tongue was like, like he had had, you know, paralysis of the tongue or something. It's just really, blah, 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 blah. this very thick tongue. What is going? What is, what is that? Nothing. Nothing. Let me see your mouth. He had a tongue bar. Now a tongue bar means it goes. It's a bar, and it goes all the way. It goes through the thick of your tongue from side to side. It goes all the way across. And I was like, boy, what are you doing? Well, I saved up my money. And I bought one, and I said, you know the rules. You know the deal. I said, you know the deal. I said, when you become age, you can. You can stick and pierce and poke and prod and pat your body from the soles of your feet to the very crown of your head. But while you're in my house, boy, you can't do that. And besides, you done broke two laws, mine being the most important. We were in Utah at that time, and it was illegal unless you were 21 to have your body pierced, at least at that time. So I said, go get your money back. Well, you won't give me my money back. I said, get in the car. We go into this tap parlor, piercing parlor, and here's this big, huge guy, and I'm like, man, you, you don't even wash your hands. You got your, you got your fingers in my son's mouth. Big guy, he's got pats. You know, he's wearing one of those, what we used to call, sadly, white beater T-shirts. You know, he's got pats all over him. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pats. That's a different sermon. Not, not if you're of age. Not if you're of age. But, He's got all these tabs on him. And I said, he said, yeah, can I help you? I said, yeah. My son has something he wants to give you. And my son held out his hand. He said, I can't take that. That's nasty. I said, you put it in his mouth. I said, we're here to get his money back. Oh, well, we can't get his money back. I'm so sorry. And I said, I want you to know that I'm his dad. And I gave him one of those looks that I think he started looking at his taps because I think it was like a laser that was taking his taps off. You know? And he said, well, I'm sorry. We can't just because he's your son. I'm sorry. Your son came in here and he paid his money and we got him. And I said, I tell you what, <clears throat> we're going to have the law here in about, oh, I'm going to get 30 And I said, they're going to come for one of two reasons. They're either going to come because you have done something illegal 
to my son without my permission. And if he signed something, he forged it. So they're either going to come and we're going to debate that. We're going to be here in 30 minutes. And they go, well, that's the second reason they're going to come. And I said, because I'm going to mop the floor with you if you don't give me the... I mean, I'm telling you, I didn't want him to know that I was a preacher. What's the point? Children, you are under the authority of your parents. They stand between you and God. And we're going to talk, if you're a child this morning, I'm going I'm to talk to your dad in just a few moments about that authority. But as you come under their authority, then I want you to know that your dominating thought is, is that they stand as God in your life. They are not God, even though at times they may seem like they're so controlling, but they stand before God for you. And I just want you to patiently bear with them, no matter how crazy it sounds, unless they ask you to deny God. Acts 5.29, Peter and John stood before men and they said, we will not disobey God. You can kill you can imprison us, you can kill us, but we will not disobey God. Unless your parents, who are as God to you, ask you to do something against God, then whatever it is, all things mean everything. Okay? All right, now I've got to leave this. But let me leave you, if you're a child this morning, and you know what? I'm still a child. My dad's still alive. If you're a child this morning, I know that sounds harsh, but think of God, how he rules us. Earlier when Trey read, it said, here's how you're to obey God, love him. It didn't say, here's how you're to obey God, keep the rules. It said, follow his heart, know his heart, know his love. Hear the love behind the commandments aren't trying to squash our good time. They're trying to keep us from self-destructing. Paul looked at this, and in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, here's the, here's the fruit. Once you get through the skin, you know, I don't like eating banana peels. To me, it's bitter, but I like bananas. Once you get through the peel, the law, the rules, here's the sweetness of the fruit. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In other words, obey and don't get tats and don't get time bars and you'll live. No. Obey because God is pleased with your obedience. God sees he knows, he knows, and he loves you for that. He knows when it's hard. He knows when your heart wants to, to do what it wants to do. And yet the parent says, no, he knows. And God sees that and says, I'm going to make you a promise. You'll live. You'll have life. You'll be strong. And you'll, you'll, you'll feel my smile upon you. And it'll go well with you in the land. And Paul clings to promises as well as we should. Children, cling to that promise because God sees it, knows, and He blesses and He loves. It pleases the Lord. Secondly, fathers, 
Now, fathers, we often reduce all parenting down to rules, correction, do the right thing, and discipline. And what we create in our homes, often enough, are perfectionist. We create little hypocrites who do it without wanting to. And many times we create rebels. And what God comes to us in the greatest parenting text, oh my goodness, please, if you're within the pale or the, the, the fall of my voice, don't go to Barnes and Noble alone. I'll suggest don't even go to Barnes and Noble. If you go to the childhood parenting section, first of all, there's no books there written for men. I, I, I found one. I found one that said fathers and daughters. I found no book that said fathers and sons, which is very interesting. And I, I get fathers and daughters. I get that. But all these books. I mean, what if your kid is autistic? What if your kid has uh, Asperger's? What if your kid is ADHD? What if they have all three? I'm not making light of them. But most of these books, most of these books have ten things that you've got to do. They have rules. They have all these tricks. They have all these things that you're supposed to do. And it just, I think I would be neurotic. I think, oh, I'm ruining my kid because I didn't do the right thing. God comes along and he says, here's what you're to do. Do to your children what God does to you. Jesus Christ, we're taught in John 10, is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd to you. He lays down his life for you. He keeps the hireling and the robber away. He protects you. Psalm 23, I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I believe that Jesus is that Lord. He leads me to, to water and to pasture and he, he guides me, and when I face death-like situations, He'll lead me through. Shepherd your children. Fathers, if you hear nothing else, hear that. Shepherd your children. Shepherd your children. I read, I read something very interesting. If you have your Bibles, um, I'll read this to you. Because I'm proud of this little boy. He is a little boy. I don't know. I think he's between the ages of... I'm going to say he's between the ages of 13 and probably 16. Because when he was 16, a lot of young men, they were, would leave the home. Uh, I need to talk to my boys once again about that because they kind of left the home and then they came back. But um, this little boy, don't think grown man, this little boy was talking to King Saul on the battlefield, a big, big, hairy, scary giant named Goliath. And he said, I'll fight him. And Saul said, you're not able to. You're too little. You're not, you don't have a warrior's training. And he said, verse 34, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now I'm getting somewhere with this. I'm going to talk about the father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. I've got a good buddy who still, his, his lifelong goal before he dies is to kill a bear barehanded with only a knife. He's six. 
He has absolutely said. He's my age, so I'm going to tell him, you, you can't even, if you get latched up with a bear, you can't even run away fast enough at, your, at this age. But this little boy, David, between the ages of 12 and 16, as we near death, is talking to a king. And he said, I shepherded my father's sheep. And when a lion came out and a bear came out, here's reality training. Dad did not come out and say, I think you need to come in now. It's really scary out there. Or David, there's a bear out there. Oh, come on in. Let's let you bring your brothers. Well, there's little boys to live me. Well, I don't want to. Let me call my dad. He said, get back out there. Go. Did you get it? He was assigned a place of responsibility by his father. And there, when King Saul says, you can't fight him. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you the kind of house I grew up in. Let me tell you the kind of dad I had. When there was a lion that came up or a bear that came up, I just grabbed him right by his chinny chin chin and I'd kill him. Your servant, verse 36, has struck down both lions and bears. How many of our kids can say that? All right, now I'm I'll talk about this on the side road because we gotta I gotta start circling the landing field now. I gotta land. But I think we're too I think we're raising wimpy kids sometimes. It's not their fault. You know what? I I'm I know somebody's gonna say did you mean that they actually can ride in the back of a truck without a seat belt and a car seat? Yes. With a bumper, with a tailgate? Yes, tailgate down. You mean you'd actually lift them up in a tractor seat with those big wheels going? I read about somewhere in Taiwan a little kid got chewed up with that, you know? Uh, yeah. Now, I'm not talking about being, I'm not talking about being foolish, but some of us, some of our kids, they need reality therapy. If you stick your finger in the socket, you will get an afro. You will, you know, seriously. I mean, you know, we're, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, what kind of parent are you? Would you have raised a David? I, found, I fought both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine, I know what his religion is, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You know what? This is not a father that I believe would exasperate a son. I believe that Jesse, that was his name, Jesse looked at little David and said, look, you're the smallest of all my sons. You're the runt. You need to get tough. You need to work in the field like your other brothers. No exception. And I'm sorry that you're small, but you better get good with a rock and a sling there are lions and bears out there, but I'm not going to abandon you. I don't believe that he sent him out like some, you know, initiation rite the first time by himself. I believe they went, they went, they went. They said, Daddy, Daddy, look, a bear. Let me show you, son. Let me show you. It's important. Let me show you. Your life depends on it. Fathers, don't be that passive father that when it comes bedtime and, and the child is still doing the video, say, Okay, have you thought about going to bed yet? Let, let me know. Let me know whenever you decide to go to bed now. You know, that's permissive. Secondly, don't be the authoritarian. Paul says don't exasperate. That's, I love that word. Don't exasperate. Don't, don't, don't be too hard on the kid. Don't be an authoritarian. I told you, I'm coming up there right now. You better be in that bed or else. You're either going to create 
You're either going to create someone who will obey you and not get their heart, or you're going to create someone, you're going to squash their spirit, that when they give up, they just say, I don't have anything else left to lose. Be responsible. That's not permissive. And that's not authoritarian. Say yes to your children as often as you can. Say yes a lot. But on the important matters, ask for obedience. Why? As a shepherd. But then, there were two things. Two things that I wanted for my four children. Two things, and I still want it today. Number one, I wanted them to take responsibility for their actions. Your actions have consequences. As long as you know. As long as you know. Accidents are going to happen, but I want you to man up and take responsibility. One of my children had a pattern. He had a pattern, and he was driving me and Wendy to drink. And I think we were going to drink battery acid pretty soon. (laughs) And he had a problem where he would take things or do things he shouldn't do. Second, when he was confronted, he would lie about it. Third, now you know it's one of the boys if I'm saying he, obviously. So, the third thing is that when he was pressed to the wall, he would run away. So, take it, lie about it, run away. We were, I'm, I'm telling you, we were going nuts. And then a gentle, gentle soul uh, by the name of Rosemary Miller came into our life, and she said. And I asked how you pray, and I said, yeah. I said, Lord, you know, just help him to stop taking things and help him to stop lying. I mean, that line is going to get him so much trouble. Just help him to stop. She said, why don't you pray this? You pray the converse. Pray, Lord, instead of taking things, make him, make him a generous person. And instead of lying, make him an honest person. Instead of running away, make him a person that will take a stand. Pray the positive rather than the negative. And you know, I began to see and I began to pray, and I began to take a vision of what I was praying for, and I began to look at that kid differently. And I will tell you now that that particular kid is one of the most generous child in our family. He's the most honest, painfully so, painfully so. And he, he, he mans up and he stands. In other words, he, he gets into a position, and he is rooted. What am I saying? Next to shepherding your, 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 your flock, your family, as you shepherd, one of the acts of a shepherd is you can't always be there for them. and You can't, you can't change the heart, only the Lord can. Prayer is your most, most important tool. You will be a, hear me, you'll be a better parent by praying than by your actions. Sounds heretical almost, doesn't it? But that's because you're cynical about prayer. And that's because we're growing children. It takes a lot of time. But you will be a better parent. You will be better parenting by praying for your children. You will be better parenting than simply by even your actions. And the reason for that is because of this. Is because all of the behavior, all of the behavior, many times we discipline our children because it's all about us. It's orbiting around me. And that kid is irritating. I mean, I got one nerve left and they are dancing all over it. They are interrupting Survivor, an amazing race. Now remember, some of you that are close to me, 
you know that even though I have four young adult children, I also have a grandbaby who is one year old in my house. We're kind of starting over. And, and, and I love them, but I have to be so careful that in offering a corrective, that I see it as offering a corrective that is involving a working around God. In other words, I'm shepherding them. I'm recognizing that they're little sinners too. And I'm wanting to see God's kingdom come into their life, which incidentally, that was the second thing that I thought my, I wanted my kids to know. I wanted them to take responsibility for their actions, and then I also wanted them to know the truth. I wanted them to know the gospel. I didn't want them to pray the sinner's prayer. I didn't want a hypocrite. I just wanted them to know about Jesus, know everything about him. I wanted, and I knew I wanted them to ask their hard questions about him. But I have found that over and over again, I will have to test myself in discipline and in correcting my children. And a good test is the anger test. When I get angry, is it because my kingdom and my ways have been interrupted, or is it because God's kingdom? It's about, you know, retribution because you're irritating me, or you're not doing things my way, or is it I'm angry and I'm challenged because you're not going God's way. In our household, we will go God's way. As we come to this table, I want to tell you and remind you that this table is a table of our sonship. It's a table and it's a reminder that God showed his anger one day, not to us as sons and daughters who he carries through everything and have gone our own way, but to one perfect son. Not to son, but for the perfect son who said, Abba, Father God, I will take the discipline, even at the cost of my life, that you might be restored to them and they be restored to you. Does God value us as his children? Look at the price, and that will determine your value and the price of his own life. Do you value your children? What are you willing to pay? Even the laying down of your own life that you might build them up? Or do you want to build your name and have your name on a building somewhere? God chose to build us. To build us even at the cost of his life. Children, you may think, I have no life as long as my parents are telling me what to do. No, God sees your little life and he is pleased because you're growing to be his son and daughter, and he's using your parents to shape you, even as he shapes them. For we are his children. Your parents are God's children too. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you set aside this cup and this bread for your holy use. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to invite our elders to come forward. This table is a table that is not for the perfect. It's a table for the hungry. Kenny will have bread and a cup for intinction. That is the dipping of bread.